for you. I'll ask you to stand. We'll sing 450 before our <coughs> sermon this morning. Number 450. <coughs> Give me the Bible, start back to sing me to cheer the wonder on the Christmas cross. No sword behind that rain speaks for me. Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Well, like I said in class, I'm going to say it again, what a, what a joy it is to be here. This is just like home to us. And I uh, certainly wish Tina could be with me today, but uh, she's taking another job and it's pretty time consuming, so uh, unless she drives up the next few minutes, I guess I'm on my own. <laughs> I guess we'll be alright. But looking forward to it. And have been for some time and I, I do come quite a bit in the spring but I have been here in the fall and I think I might have been here years ago even in the summertime so I think I've been here every time except winter and uh, that's probably that's probably good enough so thank you for the invitation to come and just keep planting the seed that's all I can say looking forward to it each time we're together if you open your Bibles to 1st Corinthians 15 uh, Ben has already read the first four verses and we'll be looking at, at that after our prayer together and maybe a little bit further on in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. We're reminded of the words of the psalmist, This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. 
We are so glad to be here. Thank you for the health that allows us each to assemble today to sing these songs, pray these prayers, participate in communion, and have the heart to give. Now, as we spend a little time in opening up the Bible, we pray your richest blessings, Father. On this particular section of Scripture that we can explain and expose and expound to this group of people. We pray, Father, that we'll be able to exit here and say it was good to have been here today. If there's someone in this room who's yet to be immersed, we pray they'll make the decision. Or somebody who realizes they're out of step and out of harmony with your way, will, and word that they'll come back home. Thank you for the love you have for us. And may we reciprocate that and show our love to you. Bless this message and bless your humble servant, the proclamation of it. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the title of the lesson is, and I, I wrote these and sent these several uh, months ago, and uh, Will was telling me he was really excited about tonight's lesson title, and I told him, well, it's really a typo. It really isn't sleeping through the sermon, it's sleeping through the storm. But I am going to introduce it by talking about sleeping through the sermon. So, Will, you can come anyway. Uh, you can come anyway. Six o'clock tonight, so don't miss that presentation. It's going to be a good one, I really believe. But what I want to do at this hour is I'm going to talk to you about I've got good news. And don't we need it? Amen? Amen. Boy, the virus is just pulling people down in more ways than one, not just physically. It's, it's pulling people down mentally, emotionally, financially. Just every way you can think about it. It is really, this second wave has really hurt our congregation. It really has more than anything that we've ever experienced in the, in the 17 years that I've been in, in Bowling Green now. And uh, when you hear the word pneumonia and when you hear the word death and you hear the word cancer and you hear the word heart attack, which we've heard in this room today, and you hear the word heart disease and all the other illnesses that are out there, it just, it just pulls people down. It, it takes away some of our joy and, and the spring in our step and the smile in our face and, and really living the way God wants us to live. And, and so I decided to come today by telling you I've got some good news for a change. And so let's focus for the next few minutes on some good news, some good thoughts, some things that will enlighten us and inform us and, and hopefully stimulate us and motivate us to be better people and to go out in this dark world and shed some light into the dark world in which we live in. So I've got some good news, and I want to share it with you this morning. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. It didn't get much better than this. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. Well, let me stop right there and talk to you about the euangelion. That's the uh, Greek word for gospel. Now, what does that mean? Somebody says, well, that sounds Greek to me, and it is. <laughs> when you really start thinking, that's what it is. And, and, and here's what it means. Good news. Or glad tidings. I remember when the birth of Jesus was announced in Luke 2 and verse 10. Here's what it says. I will bring you glad tidings. What does that mean? I'm going to give you some good news. The angels are going to rejoice. The shepherds are going to be in the field. They're going to follow that star. And I've got some good news. I want to tell you when Jesus was born, that was good news. When Jesus came to this world to make a difference in our world, to bring good news in the midst of a lot of difficulty and problem in the day and time in which Jesus came. And it's interesting to me, people ask me all the time, you know, why did Jesus come when he came? Well, the answer to that is in Galatians 4 and verse 4. God set a 
perfect time for Jesus to come into the world. He would be born of a woman. Be born under the law. The law of Moses at that time. And so God shows a completely perfect time for Jesus to be born. And when he was born, I promise you, that was good news that we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 1. So that's what the gospel is. So we have come this week to give some good news. And so here he says, I preached that good news to you. Where's that at? It's back in Acts chapter 18 when he established the church at Corinth on some of his missionary journeys. As a matter of fact, you'll read this in Acts 18 verse 8. It says that the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. That was the process by which they became New Testament Christians. So Paul says, that's what I did when I preached to you when I was in Corinth. And notice what he says here in verse 1. You received it, and that's where you stand. You know, a lot of times we, we want to know where people stand today. We'll sometimes ask them, where do you stand on this issue or that situation or whatever? And Paul says, the gospel in Corinth is where you stand. And then look at verse 2. He says, by which also you are saved. You're, you're saved when you hear believe, and are immersed, he says. Back in Acts 18 and verse 8. That was the process. That's where you are saved. Now watch the conditional phrase next. If you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you have believed in vain. You know, people change all of the time. People's minds change all of the time. We talked about that in class just a few minutes ago. And, and, and people who, who used to hold fast have faltered and failed. They're, they're not holding fast anymore. They're, they're more interested in gimmicks and gadgets and entertainment and, 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 and what can I do to just feel good physically. And, and, and a lot of people usher to that and go to that. And sometimes these great big mega churches they will have an entire drama team and they'll, they'll juice it up and dress it up so that they can draw more people in. Well, here he says, you know, you, you have to stand by the gospel that I preach to you unless you believe in vain. Well, well, Paul, what is the gospel? I mean, what is the good news? And what are these glad tidings that Jesus talked about all the way back in Luke chapter 2 and verse 10 when the angels announced it? What is the good news? Well, the answer to that is in verses 3 and 4. And I want you to see this because we're going to break it down by going back to one of the gospel accounts. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. Now, here's what I want you to see. This was of first importance. Now, I want you to remember that phrase. This was of first importance. What's of first importance? What's most important? What's most significant? What should we keep in the forefront of our heads and in our hearts today? Here's the answer. Number one, he says that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Number two, verse four, that He was buried. And number three, that He rose again. Again, he says, according to the Scriptures. So let's take each one of those words and, and develop each one of those points this morning. What's the good news? Number one, that Christ died for our sins. Take your Bibles back to Luke 23. 
We'll just spend a little time in Luke 23 and 24 to answer what the good news is this morning. Luke chapter 23 and 24. These two chapters we'll be looking at. Now, verse 33 is the first verse we want to see in Luke chapter 23. And notice the terminology that's used here. And when he had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Now, Jesus didn't just die, all right? Sometimes we'll make an announcement, you already made one here, that somebody passed away. Or that somebody has died. Or that somebody has left this earth. Jesus didn't just die. It says He was crucified. You know, we have to stop and ponder that for a minute and hopefully have an open mind and understanding that Jesus didn't just pass away. He didn't just fade off into another existence. He was crucified. He was crucified at Calvary. And even before His crucifixion, He was scourged. He was mocked. He was humiliated. He was made fun of. He was laughed at. He was scorned. There they crucified him. His body was stretched out to the max. And, and, and the nails and the spikes were driven into his, into his hands. And the nails into his rib, into his feet. And he was, he was crucified. And, and while he was suspended between heaven and earth, and while he was on, on that cross, there he, he died. And it was interesting that, that, that he would continually try to lift himself up on that cross and he would make various statements. As a matter of fact, he made about seven different statements there in the, our study of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And every time he did, he would, he would inhale and he would pull himself up and he would, with his breath almost out, he would make some of these statements until he finally said, Teletestai! That is, it is finished in John 19 and verse 30. And there it says he, he died. And so we have the first third of the gospel. He died according to the scriptures. That's what we would find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So Luke chapter 23 and verse 33 helps us to get a visual of the fact that part of the gospel. And part of the good news is that Jesus died. You know, it, it may not have been good news for him. But it was good news for us. Amen? It wasn't good news for him. How would he take that to be good news when he would have to be crucified? Where he would have to go to a cross that really didn't belong to him? That would not be good news for him, but it would be good news for us. So there is one-third of the gospel. Jesus died. You know the second part of the gospel is one that we rarely talk about? Luke chapter 23. I want you to see it as we go on down here. And notice with me verses 50 through 53. Luke 23, 50 through 53. This is the second part of the good news. And what is that? When he was buried. Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. I like this. A little bit of the resume, a little bit of the pedigree that's told about Joseph. Joseph of Arimathea. Now notice 51. He had not consented to their decision indeed. Who's that? The Sanhedrin. Those 71 members who decided the fate of Jesus. Two of those folks were not for it whatsoever. Joseph of Arimathea was one of those. Nicodemus was the other one. They didn't agree. 
They didn't like the decision. They were not for it. He was from a city of the Jews who himself also was waiting for the kingdom of God. I think that's impressive. He was waiting to see the church come to fruition. He went to Pilate and he asked specifically for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before. You know, I I believe from, from study and looking at this scripture that this might have been Joseph's place of burial himself. And that he gave it to Jesus because he knew that Jesus was an innocent man and he was hewn into this, this rock, this crevice, this stone. And Joseph wanted to make sure that Jesus had a proper burial. You know, when our loved ones die, you and I want a proper burial for our loved ones. We really do. That's something that we think about, we consider many times in advance. You know, uh, Warren County is growing so rapidly. We have, we have about five funeral homes there. And, and, and I just read the other day that because of the death due to COVID, that they're having trouble finding places for the deceased. And they're bringing in refrigerated trucks in order to put those bodies into that. We're, we're concerned, really concerned about the death and the burial of our loved ones. Joseph of Arimathea was concerned about what they were going to do with the body of Jesus. And so he went to Pilate, and Pilate considered. He agreed. Yes, you can take down the body of Jesus, and you can put it in that tomb, if you will. And that's the second third of the gospel. We don't talk about that very much. But I think it's good that we could consider it today, because it's two-thirds of the glad tidings and the good news. Now, the third third of the gospel, we, we, send a, we, we spend a considerable amount of time on. We spend a lot of time talking about the resurrection. And I want you to go to Luke chapter 24 with me. Luke chapter 24. And I want to read a few verses here. Just follow along with me. Nothing can be better than studying the Bible and reading the Bible out loud and letting you see it for yourself. That's why I ask people to hold up the Bible wherever I go so they'll know that I'm taking this out of the Bible. Luke 24, 1 and following. Follow with me now. Just remembering that Jesus was buried, all right? Now on the first day of the week. There's there's something interesting about that. Brent's already mentioned that twice. Very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb. What's the tomb? The tomb of Joseph of Arimathea that we read about in chapter 23. And they came to bring spices which they had prepared. Now they, they didn't have the methods that we do today. When you go to the funeral home today, you have a licensed undertaker and some of his staff, they've been trained in how to embalm the body and how to make that person who's laid out there look natural. And we say so frequently, I've stood at the side of hundreds and maybe thousands of coffins. Really, I have. And I've heard people walk by or stand up there that say they look so natural. And I've even heard people say this, and this, this bothers me a little bit. They look better in death than they ever looked in life. You ever heard that? I've had people say that about people that, that were laying. Well, they look better now than they've ever looked. They came with spices to anoint that body. But, but here's, the, here's the transition, verse 2. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. 
They went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this. That behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. You have some angels here. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, what a great question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Verse 6, He is not here, but is risen. Amen, church? He spoke to them while He was still in Galilee. Here's what He told them. He told them to remember this. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And the third day arise again. Watch verse, watch verse 8. I love this verse. And they remembered His words. They remembered His words. You know, you know, sometimes we do that when one of our loved ones is deceased. Somebody will say to me, I remember my dad telling me. I remember my mom telling me. I remember my sister telling me. And, and they'll say, you know, I remember those words. At this time, they remembered his words. He told them on several occasions he had to go to Jerusalem. I think it's Luke 9, 51, where there is a transition in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Preceding that, Jesus had been preaching in other places, but now from Luke 9, 51 forward, he's, he's heading toward Jerusalem. Why? To be delivered into the hands of sinful men. To be betrayed, to be mourned, to, to be mocked, to be laughed at, to be scorned, to be delivered up, to be crucified, to die a shameful death. And they remembered his words. Now, now look at verse 9. They returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, mother of Mary James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose, ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. What had happened was that which was of first importance. What had happened was that which was most significant. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is telling the church at Corinth, don't forget that which is of first importance. If you want the basics, if you want to share with somebody, if you want to PTS with somebody, plant the seed, here's, here's the three things you need to tell people. Number one, Jesus died for you. Number two, Jesus didn't even have a tomb of His own. He was put into the tomb of His friend Joseph of Arimathea, a, a city of the Jews, a man who waited for the kingdom of God. And number three, Jesus was different than other men. He came out of the tomb. He arose from the dead. When we were living in Frankfurt, I found out, and some of you have probably been there, if not most of you, the number one, I found out that the number one tourist attraction in the state of Kentucky is Daniel Boone's grave. How many of you have been there? Let me see your hands. All right, several of you have been to. It, it, it is fascinating to grow. It overlooks the city of Frankfurt. It overlooks the Kentucky River. It is fascinating. I want to tell you something that happened to me while I was there one year. I had a couple ask me if I would marry them in a cemetery. Now think about that for a minute. How, how bizarre, unusual was that? But I thought it was pretty neat. 
We, we, we got in there and we got the deed done and we were overlooking the Kentucky River and the city of Frankfurt and, 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 and you know, they said their I do's right there at Daniel Boone's grave. That's a great. If you haven't been, try to go sometime before you leave this world. It is a fascinating place. But think about that in reference to what we're talking about here. Jesus was seen by Cephas, verse 5, then by the 12. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. Why, why, did, why did the Holy Spirit bring that out? Because if Jesus was just seen by his followers, they would say, well, you, that's natural. You would say that he was raised because you followed him. But it says he was seen by over 500 different people. What does that do? It leads credibility to the fact that Jesus truly did come out of the tomb. He was seen by James, then by all the apostles, says verse 8. And, and, and then, which is fascinating, verse 8. Then, last of all, he was seen by me also. Paul, who says, as one who was born out of due time. I'm the least of the apostles. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. What does the gospel do for us? Well, if you read on verses 12 through 19, it is the cornerstone of our faith. And it is why you and I, H-O-P-E. It's why you and I hope. And hope is a word that is so needed in 2021. Because so many people out here are living lives without any hope whatsoever. So let's look at 12 through 19. If Christ is priest, he says, that he has been raised from the dead, how do you among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not a reason, watch this, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised of Christ, whom he did not raise up. For if in fact the dead do not rise, if the dead do not rise, Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, watch 17, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Watch 19. It's a key verse. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. What, what's he talking about there? He's talking about after life. When people are at the cemetery, you, you, know, what's, you know what's one thing they're thinking? I want to see this person again. I want to have this relationship again. I want to know this person again. That's the very first thought people are thinking when they leave the cemetery. And guess what? If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've been immersed, if you've stayed in the faith, if you've continued in the doctrine, you're going to see that person again. If that person is a faithful child of God, you're going to see that person again. And so that's something we can hang our hat on. That's something we can remember. That's something we can take to the bank. That's something we can deposit. That's something that will be sure and it will be steadfast in our lives. Hope. Do you experience hope this morning? Do, do you have that hope? You know, that is such a powerful thought. As I think about the resurrection, I want to share with you two quick things here. We're going to sing our song here in about three or four minutes. The ancient world did not believe in the afterlife. The Sadducees, 
They didn't believe in the resurrection whatsoever. You can read that in Acts 23 and verse 8. They said, we don't, we don't believe in the afterlife. We don't believe in the resurrection. Don't you know the Sadducees had to be miserable? And, and let me tell you this. I'm going to break down the word for you and toss something out of you you may not have heard before. If you are a Sadducee, you know how we would look at them? Very sad, you see. <laughs> That's how we would think of them because they didn't recognize the afterlife. The second group that had a struggle with this were the Pharisees. The Pharisees and those on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17 and verse 32, when Paul was preaching that sermon, you know what they did? They mocked Paul and they said, what are you talking about a resurrection from the dead? What does that mean? But to those of us who understand the good news, it's that Christ died for us. It's that Jesus was buried in a borrowed tomb for us. It was that Jesus came out of the tomb to live evermore and to conquer death forevermore. Now, how does that relate to us? September 19th, 2021. I want to explain it to you before we sing our song. Now, I think it's trust and obey. Is that right, Daniel? What a great song that we're going to sing here in conclusion. Here's what it means to us. Number one, Jesus died, so I have to die. Somebody says, wait a minute, I have to die? Yes, you have to die to the old man of sin. If you see behind me, there is enough water here to immerse anybody in this room. Shorty, remember that day that you and Shelby, we took you into the water? She was immersed right here behind me. She died to her old sinful self. She didn't stay in that water. We didn't keep her down in that water. She rose up to walk in newness of life. We, we die to our sins. We're buried in that watery grave in order to get rid of that sinful condition. And the blood of Christ is swirling around in that watery grave and it's getting rid of our sins. But we come up in order to live for Him. We come up in order to live lives that are pleasing to Him. Just like Jesus came out to live for us. You know, Romans 1 and verse 4 says he was declared to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. I'm here to tell us this morning we can, we can get this good news. And we need it. And we need to deliver it to people just like mailmen deliver the mail. All right? How do you like that one? All right? We deliver it to people. He died. He was buried. And he rose again. It may be that you've done that, but something in your life has kept you from being everything that God wants you to be. You know, why would you not respond again to the good news and say, I need to live for him who died for me? There might be one person in this room who says, I need to come and have a closer walk with him. Will you trust and obey? For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey Daniel while we stand as singers.
Jesus.